A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Hannah Timmons. And you are listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, everybody, and thank you to Hannah Timmons for introducing this edition of The Tennis Podcast. Hannah is one of our three executive producers and top folks and just underlining the facts by introducing the show expertly there with Catherine, Matt and myself ready to chat post Roland Garros and to talk about grass court tennis, which suddenly seems very, very strange. And uh, when I've turned on the TV, I have really not been ready for this. It's come a upon me before I've really had a chance to think about it, but I'm delighted to share uh, a Zoom call with you both and to be able to chat to everybody and to be able to welcome Hannah as our intro. If you'd like to uh, introduce the show, you can do that by becoming a friend of the Tennis Podcast at intro level. Uh, just go to tennis.supportingcast.fm or our link is in the show notes. Uh, you can get access to the uh, the review show that we did straight after Roland Garros, uh, which uh, had guests such as Mary Carrillo on and Pam Shriver and uh, Simon Briggs and Christopher Clary. We also did our Q&A show uh, recorded on finals day, actually, on men's finals day with uh, Catherine and Matt out in the open. And it was, uh, it was a lovely Q&A show. So there you go. Two shows to catch up on. But here's another one for you. Catherine, how are you? Very well, thank you. I've got clay to grass whiplash, as I think we all have, players included, uh, but other than that, great. Yeah. Matt, I don't know about you, but I find the rallies suddenly very strange to look at because they're so different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what rallies? <laughs> yeah, it's all so fast and different to the clay. And yeah, we've had we've had months of watching clay court tennis, haven't we? And I think that surface has probably become my favourite over the years. And suddenly we're on grass and it's all very quick. Uh, a bit like the grass court season generally, really. You you sort of have to savour it while it's here. And yet I'm not quite ready for it coming so soon off, off the clay. It's always a little bit tricky this this first week of the grass. But I'm... I'm excited about the week coming. There's some there's some really big events, and we'll get to see more of the top players. But uh, yeah, it's it's always a slightly jarring first week on the grass mm. straight after Roland Garros. I, I always find myself slightly scoffing at the notion of grass court specialists in the year 2023 because people don't serve and volley the way they used to, and that sort of thing, which is what I grew up with. But when he's, when he's it ditched does... Maxine Cressy quickly, hasn't he, Matt? <laughs> Well, he's done next to nothing, hasn't he? So, you know, he's not worthy of it. <laughs> not worthy of my support, Maxime. Sort yourself out and you'll get it back. Um, which comes first, my support or his good play? Well, his good play, actually, if he wants my support. But actually, when, when I did turn on the streams and start watching matches involving players that I really haven't seen play tennis for some months and realise they're doing well... Like Adrian Manorino. I was going to say, are you talking about Adrian Manorino? <laughs> and various British people. I saw Adrian Manorino with my own eyes today. Real life Adrian Manorino. I know, yeah. the glamour of my existence, David. It's, it's a lot to take in. They're all half volleying off the baseline. Nobody's taking a backward step. Nobody's just hanging around with the line judges at the back of the court. These are things that are just very clearly different. Short take backs, parrying returns and, you know, using the pace of the opponent's shots, all that sort of thing. And you realise actually it is a jarring difference. And 
in its own way i do, i do love it too i i just i've got used to clay now so i'm going to have to have a bit of a mental shift i think it helps now that we're about to go into queens and hallow week um and birmingham in in on the women's tour and 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 berlin as well is 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 going to be played you know that's the next level up of tournament isn't it there've, there've been some good tournaments this week but and i think to be honest with you i think i've needed a week to to just have a bit of a break even from tennis just you know i mean i've watched the last couple of days but i've i've needed to tune out i don't know about you i mean do you find that yeah absolutely perhaps not the thing to to lead with at the start of a tennis podcast but i <laughs> yeah i have i've watched a lot of other sports this week i've watched a lot of cricket for obvious reasons i've been trying to stay up late enough to to watch some golf and i'm in a real i'm in a real quandary about what what to do tonight because rory McIlroy doesn't tee off until 11 p.m ish our time which is just it's an absolute catastrophe for for uk golf viewers and uh yeah i wish they would factor that in when they're choosing the locations of these majors um but yeah look Nobody loves tennis more than us. Trust me, we love it. There is too much of it. <laughs> there is too much tennis. <laughs> I don't I don't want to be in a position where I'm feeling like, oh God, I need a few days off from tennis. Um, but I did this week. I did. I've, mm. I've caught up. We know what's going on. Please don't tune out. We have things to say, I think, in this podcast. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it is absolutely relentless and... The players generally, unless you're Novak Djokovic, you don't really have the luxury of going. I'm going to tune out for a few days and just mm. watch the Ashes. I mean, I did. I, I had uh, TMS on my phone um, in our little interview position at Queens today while we were waiting for the players to be brought to us. So I had to switch it off every time a player sat down. And a couple of them asked what it was, and I explained about cricket. And the faces they pulled at the mere mention of cricket was. Look, I won't name any names, but shame on them, the lot of them. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they they don't have that luxury, do they? I know that not having that luxury comes along with, you know, a lot of lux- luxury and money and all of that. But God, it is a lot, isn't it? Tennis is a lot. I saw uh, Tommy Paul on his Instagram was watching cricket and he said would you rather watch this or pickleball oh god which was was just insulting wasn't it i hope his answer was cricket he was leaving it up to the people i voted okay. cricket on his poll right there's a there's actually a, a poll oh god i right well <laughs> Sorry, you found you there. found your solution to me not liking polls um <laughs> but anyway goodness me uh yes listen Let's. Um, uh, by the way, I think I have come up with a strategy for the golf, Catherine. I, I think I'm going to go to bed very, very early tonight, set my alarm early, record everything, and then just flick through the best bits and get to the last hour. That's my strategy. I can't do that. Okay. You've both I'll let got you much know more faith in Rory McIlroy than I have. <laughs> it, it is okay. absolutely not that at all, Matt. It's that... If I go to bed and don't stay up for any of it, it'll definitely be the one where he doesn't blow it, won't it? Mm. Mm. Right. It it is a real, it's the ultimate first world problem, people. (laughs) Tune in next week to find out what I did. Yeah, well, the issue Catherine's got is, is a nice one, a nice quandary, because she is going to be presenting Amazon Prime Video's coverage of Queen's tomorrow. So... Uh, that means a very, very early rise. Uh, it also means, Catherine, that you've been at Queen's all day today, as you uh, suggested there, doing doing all the interviews with the players as they've come on through. So before we round up everything else that's gone on over the past week or so, who's who's been coming across your, your camera lens and sitting in front of you? Well, the, the biggest omission, of course, is... Andy Murray, who was unavailable in West London today for reasons that I'm sure we will come on to talk about very soon. And Francis Tiafo as well, also not available for, for interview. Uh, but the top two seeds came across my path today. Carlos Alcaraz and Holger Rune, both 
making their Queen's debuts. Cameron Norrie, of course, a, a finalist at Queen's two years ago and a, a Wimbledon semi-finalist now, Dan Evans as well. Um, who else did we have? Lorenzo Musetti, Sebastian Corda, who plays Dan Evans in the opening round, Alex de Menor, who's drawn uh, Andy Murray in the opening round, Taylor Fritz. Uh, who else did we have? Ryan Penniston, remember him? From yeah, Heroics of last year, he's back. Um, Milos Raonic, actual Milos Raonic in the year 2023, was on the um, was on the list of requestees, but uh, he was unable to make it today, and he will be doing his media commitments tomorrow. Uh, so you missed out on Milos Raonic, uh, but yeah, it was um, it was a smorgasbord. If tennis players, oh Ben Shelton as well. I knew I was missing one, Ben Shelton, and he was, he was probably my highlight of the day actually because it was my first chance to to interview him one on one. I'd never done that before. Why was he your highlight apart from the novelty element? What was he like? Oh, he just made me feel like, can I be you, please, just for a day? Because <laughs> it just looks so brilliant. He had all the other, he came at quite a busy time. There were four or five crews set up and they were, you know, it was a juggling act, um, uh, sort of musical tennis players. And all of the other players that were there at the time that Ben Shelton was were interacting with him. It felt like everybody just wanted to intersect with his orbit in some way, because it looked like the place to be. Uh, I think he backs his game on grass. He back, really backs his game to work on grass in quite a pragmatic, realistic way. I don't think he's expecting to win Wimbledon this year. He's very much got a, this is my first lap around the block. I'm taking it all in and seeing what's what attitude. He he emphasised the fact this was his first time in the UK. It's one of his first times out of the country he's been solidly on the road in Europe now for a couple of months and I I feel like it's sensory overload for him and he's he's loving it but it is a lot for him Um, but my absolute favorite thing about the interview was actually something that that happened just afterwards just as he was removing his mic and de-rigging I clocked the t-shirt he was wearing uh, said it it was unclear exactly what it was, but it said Atlanta, 1977. And I said, oh, what's the significant of, significance of the T-shirt? And he said, oh, you know, the Atlanta tennis tournament. This is a T-shirt f- from from that tournament in 1977. And I said, was that your dad's then? And he said, yeah. He was, wow. Yeah, wow. how cool is that? That's and, very and, and, cool. Am I right in saying that his dad has now stopped coaching at the university and is is going to travel with with Ben full time on the tour now? I believe so. Yeah, he certainly said uh, his dad had been quite significant in terms of helping him with you know a few tips and tricks for the grass and pointing him in the direction of YouTube videos to <laughs> to watch. Um, to get gain other tips and trips, I, I think he said his dad had been to the fourth round of Wimbledon, which is which is pretty good going. So look, I'm not I'm not expecting him to win Queens or Wimbledon or necessarily, you know, reach second week of Wimbledon. But he's a he's I, th- I think he's likely to be just outside the seeded spots. M- might might get lucky if um, he has a good week. Uh, at Queens or if some players drop out he's hovering on the cusp but I guarantee the seeded players will want him seeded mm. yeah he, he, he's he's probably not going to know enough yet is he to be as dangerous as he will be in the future yeah. but the raw materials are there and, and I mean having remem- remembering his dad as a player I'm quite sure he will help him a lot with with picking up that that side of the sport. I, I actually saw a clip of his dad talking on the Wimbledon Twitter feed today, and it was a really nice little sort of interview of of Brian Shelton talking whilst Ben was sitting next to him and talking about how he and his wife are, are, are more worried about Ben's development as a human being and to become a good a good person and and rather than what he ends up as a tennis player kind of that'll take care of itself but uh, this whole journey this whole 
sort of six months traveling Europe and and seeing everything just seems to be just part of life experience as much as anything else. And uh, and I, and he's going he's taken a few shoeings out there on the court, hasn't he? He's he's been beaten pretty handily on the clay at times, but crikey, what a what a what a university in itself. Yeah, I I love his attitude to to life. Time will tell whether that attitude to life translates into maximum success on a tennis court. But I would, yeah, I'm one of those people who I want my orbit to intersect with with Ben Shelton's. He's got a a house for the month in Wimbledon. He's doing the full Wimbledon thing of staying there in a house, and we learned from his Instagram today that that house is has just come with dogs bonus dogs (laughs) he didn't know there were going to be dogs (laughs) when when he booked the booked the house but it's come with dogs and they look great and yeah I can imagine just being one of those people that like of course there's excellent dogs because I don't know good things seem to happen to Ben Shelton and I wish him all of those good things he's he's definitely got an aura about him i would say he's mm. he's good vibes yeah he, he sure is um let's let's while, while we're talking um queens i mean i i'm curious first of all to to get your view catherine on how alcaraz and runa seemed as people who haven't played a whole lot of grass court tennis i mean alcaraz played wimbledon last year he, he pulled out of queens he came in injured he you know ended up losing to yannick sinner what do they seem like? I mean, it's a week a week since Roland Garros. Yeah, interesting one. Alcaraz, he he's a lot less comfortable with his English in a one-on-one uh, interview situation. Is my takeaway? His English is perfect, perfectly fine. I, th- I think it's probably better than he realizes. But he's definitely tentative, tentative with it, and very. Uh, cautious and methodical about what he says so I'm I'm going to say that I'm reluctant to read between too many lines but I'm also going to read between some lines and say I don't know if he is perhaps quite chastened by what happened in Paris actually I think it look I think he'll I think he'll bounce back relatively quickly I don't expect it to throw him way off course but I do just wonder if it might shake him for for just a little bit. Just, you know, everything has been... <laughs> everything's been in his power so far in his career. And that must have... I mean, obviously we knew at the time it would have rocked his his foundation. It's almost like his his DNA betraying him. You know, that the, the pumpedness that is so at the root of everything that is Carlos, Carlos Alcaraz that ended up we think being his downfall in that match against Novak Djokovic, all of that nervous energy translating into crippling injury. And I do just wonder if that has actually rocked his foundations a little bit. And maybe that combined with it not being the most comfortable time of year for him on grass. I mean, I, I don't doubt at all that it is in his ambition and his power to conquer grass. And he may be just so good a tennis player that he can weather that storm, weather this mini crisis of confidence um, and stay in tournaments while he's weathering it uh, and get to the latter stages by by which point you'd you'd expect the confidence to have been restored. But I don't know. I I think it could be an interesting couple of weeks for, for Carlos Alcaraz. And Holger Rune... <laughs> It was a really interesting one because he's very aware of his inexperience on grass. I think he's played a couple of matches. Um, just on that, by the way, Ben Shelton, I said, you've never played on grass before, though. You've never played on grass before, right? And he said, no, no, I've played on grass. I played yesterday in doubles qualifying. <laughs> when he started that answer, I was like, oh, my God, have I cocked up my research really badly? Is he sort of secretly been playing grass court challenges all his life or something no one doubles match yesterday <laughs> um and yeah so Holger Runa obviously really 
really conscious of his inexperience, but also completely unable to turn off his ambition tap. I said, what would a good grass court season look like for you? What would you be happy with this grass court season? And he said, he sort of said, well, well, you know, I've not played many matches and I don't know this surface well yet. And I'm trying to adapt my game and figuring it out. But also, I'm never happy unless I win the tournament because that's who I am. So it was... I love it. Yeah, I I love it too. He's obviously trying to reconcile those two things um, in his mind. And I, I love that he laid that all bare. It was very revealing. Mm, yeah. Um, ben Shelton and Seb Corder, by the way, lost that doubles qualifying match 6-1-6-4 to somebody called Goranson and McLaughlin, who I don't know an awful lot about, but they absolutely handed it to them uh, in uh, Ben Shelton's first ever match on grass. So uh, any, we'll, we'll see how he gets on. Um, I'm I'm curious to know who all of these players are playing against, Matt. We've uh, we've I mean it's it's an interesting draw, isn't it? Because Alcaraz is the top seed and yet inexperienced on the surface, relatively speaking. You've got people who are very experienced on it, um, but maybe not very highly seeded. So, what 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 are the highlights as 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 you see them? Well. Carlos Alcaraz had a qualifier next to his name when the when the draw came out and that got extremely exciting when the qualifiers were placed because that is Arta Fis. Okay, now we're talking. So I suppose Alcaraz has, has found someone who's less experienced on grass than him there, I imagine. Uh, but yeah, s- sign me up to watch that one, please. That should be explosive i think and i, I think that's tricky because fees has come through two rounds come of, through qualifying. of qualifying yeah and i watched him yeah and he got a good win yeah i didn't i wasn't able to watch too much of his uh final qualifying match against alexi popperin who i think does like the grass and probably should have had better results on grass than he actually has done so far in in his career but i watched him from a couple of meters away it was on one of the outside courts at queens you could you, you're practically standing on the court when you're watching um and yeah i was watching him try to figure figure it out where to return serve how when to take his racket back that that he's He's got the athleticism and the physicality already. He looks so physically comfortable on the surface. And I was incredibly impressed with how well he was moving on it. He looked balanced. I think it helps that, I mean, as we speak, actually, it is raining. But it basically hasn't rained in the UK for the last month. So they're not dewy grass courts. Sometimes Mm. when, when they're wet, inexperienced players look really all at sea don't they on with their footing on the grass so i think so i think that helps but yeah movement wise he looked really comfortable it was more kind of the timing um on it and i wasn't able to see the latter stages when he fought back to win that 7-6 in the third but i think that's a really dangerous first round opponent for for alcaraz mm. and uh Holgeruna has got the aforementioned maxime cressy oh that's quite fun. They've they've met a couple of times already this year, and it's it's one all in their head to head. And you know, I think I think Cressy, as we know, he backs himself, doesn't he? And he would certainly want to play Runa on grass. I think uh, it was you know last last year he had a very good grass court season, Maxime Cressy, but he he lost his first round uh, this week. So that's an interesting one as well. Uh, other matches that stand out: Andy Murray against Alex Dumanor. I'm sure we'll we'll come on to talk about Andy Murray quite a lot in a moment, but that's a real step up for him given given the players that he's been playing and and beating recently. Tiafo against Van der Zanskulp, Dimitrov against Rusevori, um, Rusevori who reached the semis last year mm. at Queens, I think, and also uh, Milos Raonic against Jordan Thompson. I think I think Jordan Thompson in his own right might be a little bit of a grass court specialist. I think as well. Uh, so yeah, I'm just I'm just find myself quite intrigued by me by Milos Raonic at the moment. I saw him with um, my own eyes as well today, mm, in the flesh. And, Milos Raonic <laughs> on a grass court. And, and I think they played. I think they played already this week. Raonic and Thompson. 
and Thompson won. So uh, Raonic out for revenge there in round one. Yeah, there's. But Ra- Raonic did get a, a win, didn't he? Yeah, on, on the grass. I mean, which you know, given how long he's been out, that is that's good going, really. Yeah, he beat uh, Ketsmanovic in in straight sets, and by all accounts, played really well. Yeah, in all honesty, I was, and I've joked about it, um, and I will continue to joke about the Milos Raonic comeback because he he wasn't on, he just wasn't on comeback watch at all, was he? I th- that no. that's the gag that he was completely out of our tennis mind, well, our entire minds. <laughs> he was. I thought he was going to retire. Yeah, I, really I kind of thought he had, but just I think ha- he thought hadn't he announced it. Um, so sort of to to think about him again is very, yeah, it's quite a bizarre thing. But I actually, I was a bit disappointed I didn't get to interview him today because I suspect that might actually have been been really interesting. Yeah, agreed. Well, you mentioned uh, Andy Murray and you also mentioned Francis Tiafo, two players who've played this week and have been successful. So let's talk about them. I mean, Andy Murray first as somebody who, you know, you, you talk about Jordan Thompson. It was Thompson who beat Andy Murray when Murray was world number one and the all-conquering returning hero, wasn't he? Just before he started to get the worst of his hip problems. And um, yeah, I mean, Murray's now playing challenger events and he's he's played two back-to-back challenger events in Surbiton and in Nottingham you know and if you if you don't know what challenger events are I mean I'm, the vast majority you will but I mean this is the rung below the tour and yet I'm a big advocate of players improving their fortunes going forwards by playing challenges and by playing qualifying Dimitrov for whatever reason, didn't enter the the tournament. I, I mean, in the past, I think he's just not signed up on the time uh, at Queens, and he's he's been in the qualifying again this week. He wouldn't have needed to if he'd have entered the thing, but he's got two matches under his belt now. And here's Andy Murray. He's just won ten matches in a row on grass, heading into Queens. I mean, I think my my view is that's just a really really good idea. He's had this week. Ivan Lendl has actually been in Nottingham, which I think is is a heck of a statement as well. Um, to have a, have your super coach courtside, not just the rest of your coaching team, who he who he who he usually would expect to have. But this is all in Andy Murray right now on this grass court season. It feels like pretty much now or never the way he's approaching this. I'm going to go all guns blazing, try and get ring out every last drop of potential in myself. Who knows whether he'll be trying again in a year if either way, we don't know. But I love the fact that he's gone all in. My one concern is just how much output he's already sort of put in and and got out of this spell. Last year he had a good run and he ended up injured before before Wimbledon. It It does give me a little bit of a concern in that regard, but... There's not really much point in thinking like that, is that overall, Catherine, 10 matches played, 10 matches won. That's bloody good going, even if you are playing lower ranked opposition, right? Oh, hell yes. I mean, I'll, I'll let I'll let Matt take the reins on this one because I think he's managed to, to watch a bit more of the, the matches than I, than I have. But uh, you say now or never, and I agree with you, but <laughs> just to signpost that in his Nottingham victory speech, today during the ceremony which was wonderful for so many different reasons and yet the sight of Ivan Lendl sat in the crowd in this teeny tiny stand literally at the tennis centre I played at while I was at university really (laughs) really did make me chuckle to myself but yeah on the now or never thing in his speech he said I'll see you next year Nottingham (laughs) and great yeah he just can't he can't help himself can he it's so great yeah, I, I agree, David. I think this has been really positive for Andy Murray. I would say, I, I think he's got better as as these tournaments have gone on. Like, I watched him at the start of Nottingham, and he was playing okay. But by the end, in the final today, I thought he was really playing well. It's obviously tough to judge the level exactly. He's playing Artur Kazo, a guy ranked about 180 in the world, young player who'd never really played on grass before. And Murray's experience just told. But he looked to be moving really well, which is always what I look for with Andy Murray these days. I, I you know, I trust the hands, I trust I trust that the game can be there, especially on grass. 
but yeah, movement-wise, I thought he looked excellent. Um, and honestly, these are the kind of results where, you know, winning back-to-back challenger titles, we would really take note, for example, if someone popped up in the second week of a Grand Slam who we didn't really know too much about, and then we'd read that they'd won back-to-back challenger titles coming in, you'd think, wow, okay, they were they were really showing some form, and it's perhaps not a surprise that they've reached the second week at a slam, you know, one Pablo Varillas looking at you kind of thing at uh, at Roland Garros just gone. Obviously, Murray has, you know, ambitions of probably being more than one Pablo Varillas. But, you know, that is sort of the stage of his career that he's at now, that he is having to drop down to challenges to win to win titles. And if you if you add in that element of experience that Murray's got, he suddenly becomes a really, really dangerous player, I think, if he's if he's fit, which he does seem to be. But, you know, we should caveat this. He hasn't won a tour match since Indian Wells. And he's playing Alex Dumanor in the first round of Queens, who is top 20. And he hasn't faced anyone in this little stretch who's higher than 69. That was Jason Kubler, who he, who he beat in Surbiton. So it it's a big gap. But I think... I think Murray's factored all that in. You know, I think he I think he's realized that he needed these matches to get some wins because he just hasn't had that many recently and he's got them and now he goes to Queens which has been his most successful tournament ever, a place where he knows he plays great tennis and I think I think he needs one win maybe but two would definitely I think get him seeded at Wimbledon which feels like it's been sort of the aim all along as well so things are looking really good for Andy Murray and I'm I'm very very excited for him actually because yeah he's just so pumped about it all he, he used so that nice word didn't that he he, can be. he said I'm pumped yeah. and, and how yeah. often do you hear and, and, Andy Murray say stuff <laughs> like that it was I mean obviously hmm. he said it like he was about to slit his wrists but he he meant it didn't he he's I'm pumped um <laughs> but yeah, he he really is pumped, um, and I do think you know speaking to to Dan Evans today, who has been in a really tough run of form recently, and trying to just pick up from what he was talking about after he lost at the French Open, the sort of unfathomability of the sport. Um, winning is a habit. I know that doesn't necessarily make sense, but he's. Like, I'm playing the same tennis. I'm playing really good tennis. But basically, I'm out of the habit of winning matches. And I need to just somehow turn the tide to get back in the habit. He said, it's not about my tennis. I guarantee you I'm I'm doing exactly the same stuff. All his metrics, you know, he hasn't lost a step or anything like that. It's just a trough of form. And I do think Andy Murray making winning a habit, I do think there's something in that. And particularly for Andy Murray, who does increasingly so in the these latter, this twilight of his career, he gets into patterns, doesn't he? He was in that pattern of winning an epic first round and losing in, in the second round. And he kind of needed to have a break to, to break free of that pattern. Then he was in the saving match points or coming back from the absolute brink of defeat pattern. And he's... He's got himself into a pattern now of winning and winning efficiently. And yes, it's not a given that he can carry that through to a higher higher level. But I think he's put himself in the best possible position to do that. And if we didn't think it could get any more exciting, Catherine, um, then we had an on-court interview moment to savour. What happened? Well, it was it was it was such a genuine, unplanned moment of loveliness in Nottingham. There's something so pure and wholesome about it, and I'm sure most people listening either saw it live or have subsequently seen it on some sort of social media because it's gone every bit as viral as it deserves. But of course, today is Father's Day in the UK, and I think, well, certainly in the states because Taylor Swift mentioned it last night on stage. Uh, but I think. Potentially in a lot of places internationally, today's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, Dad, if you're listening. You definitely are. Um, And uh, 
that was referenced to Andy Murray in a question by the MC during the Nottingham ceremony. It's Father's Day today. Um, and Andy started saying, yeah, I, 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 I'm looking forward to getting home tonight and being able to, to see my family. And then suddenly the camera cuts to his wife, Kim, in the audience, waving furiously and holding up assorted Murray children <laughs> to try and grab his attention and say, we're here. We've surprised you. We've We've been here all along and somehow you haven't noticed. Um, but we were all here. All four of his children were there watching him today. And he started sort of, he was, again, in a very Andy Murray way, he was clearly extremely touched by it. And he didn't want to get choked up. But you could hear his voice going and he said, oh, that's really great. I, I, you sort of see him trying to count. He was like, I don't know how many of them are there. <laughs> um, and it had to be pointed out to him that indeed all his children are there it's like he's had so many of them he's he's losing track um, and yeah he was really really touched by it and it was extremely lovely and um, yeah it'll lighten your day if you do get the opportunity to, to watch it how marvellous I had cupcakes made for me by my kids, Aww. and they Aww. were delightful. And they, they they had a really good undercover process for making them yesterday, all of which I knew was happening, but uh, which they didn't think I did know. <laughs> did you pretend to be surprised, David? <laughs> oh, yeah. Aww. I was massively surprised, Catherine. <laughs> um, and they don't listen to the Like podcast, Andy Murray. So Maybe that. that was all. Uh, yes. Maybe that was a big fake out. No, I, I, think, I think he was more surprised. <laughs> It's the little, it's the little conversations very quietly that they don't think I can hear. Um, anyway, uh, Matt, tell me about Francis Tiafoe's week uh, in Stuttgart because he's had quite a week. He has, yeah, he has won the title, beating Jan Leonard Struff today, coming from coming from a set down and then and then winning two tie breaks, which kind of was the story of of his week. He he won five of the six tie breaks that he played and just reminded me of how good he was in tie breaks at the US Open last year. He, you know, it's funny because sometimes I think of him as as not quite being able to really bring it in the in the big moments, you know, like like when he lost to Alexander Zverev at, at the French Open, that that fourth set was just there for the taking, wasn't it for him? And, he, and yet he couldn't close it out. But he does also have this ability to to play brilliantly in in tie breaks and and he did that this week and honestly it was a it was a fantastic final against Struve you know a proper you know sort of going back to what we were saying at the start of the podcast proper grass court tennis I mean Struve really does does play it and I, I think we we said he was playing grass court tennis on clay when he reached the final in, in Madrid and how excited we were to see him play that actually on grass this summer and uh, he was attacking the net and just giving Tiafo no time. And he'd just come off a win over Hubert Hercatch and he was in front of his home fans. And, you know, it was all sort of set up for Struff to win that match. And it would have been his first ATP title. I think, I think he's probably the best player on tour at the moment who hasn't won an ATP title. And, you know, he's, he's 33 years old now. And uh, the guy at the, at the, ceremony said you know he did a classic you will win one of these and I was thinking he's he's 33 like he's really been trying to win one of these for a long time and it hasn't happened it is absolutely no given that he's going to win one of these but he did at least caveat it with if you continue to play like this (laughs) (laughs) no pressure That's like saying to Lucas Russell, if you continue to play like this, you'll you'll win Wimbledon one day. <laughs> yeah, and then he lost in the next round. Turns out he never played like that again. Mm. Um, but you know, so on the one hand, it was disappointment for Struve, which would have been this amazing career moment if he'd managed to win his first title. But it was an amazing career moment for Francis Tiafoe because he's now he's now reached the top ten for the first time which is a very significant milestone I think in any in any player's career and 
you know, I just tweeted that the top 10 got a little bit more fun because Francis Tiafoe is in it. And that is just how I feel about him and tennis generally. And I think talking about players wanting to be in Ben Shelton's orbit, I think Francis Tiafoe is another one. And number of players I've already seen, you know, go out of their way to send congratulations to him publicly on, on getting into the top 10, I think is just a mark of how well liked he is. And yeah, he's... This is obviously his career high ranking and that feels fitting because it does feel like, you know, since since the US Open last year, this has been the best phrase of, of Tiafo's career. He he hadn't won enough titles, I think would would definitely be true, but he's now won a couple this year, one on clay, one on grass, to go with one that he's already won on, on hard court. So he's part of a select group of players now that have got titles on all all three surfaces. He's a sort of triple threat. Um, and I think Grass in particular, you know, I was w- watching this match thinking it's not out of the question that Struff Tiafo could be a Wimbledon quarterfinal. You know, they're, they're two quality players in form. And yeah, it was there was very little to choose between them. And, and the match point was absolutely fantastic. Uh, Tiafo should have put away a short ball. He didn't. Struff guessed right and passed him down the line with a backhand. But at full stretch, Tiafo managed to get these soft hands on a volley and and win the title. And he just sort of fell to the fell to the ground. You could you could tell he was really emotional and just how much it meant to him. And uh, yeah, I think I sort of joined everyone in just just being pleased for Francis Tiafo. And uh, yeah, I think uh, it's it's a big moment for him, big moment for American men's tennis, having two players in the top ten for the first time. I think in in eleven years. Um, and yeah. Tiafo, I really hope he brings it at Wimbledon because uh, he's he's just he's just infectious when he's when he's in a draw playing like that. I'm just just drawn to him. I think this could be a really big week for him because it's on Wednesday of this week that the next batch of Netflix Breakpoint episodes drops, and Matt and I have done a full review show of these five episodes for this available for friends i think so become a friend if you'd like to listen to it uh so i won't give away too much of that content only to say i think tiafo is the star of these five episodes he's the breakout star he's the one that jumps off the screen uh and you learn a lot about his relationship with wayne ferreira and by extension you learn a lot about him i think from from the episode that focuses on him, which is his run at the US Open last year. And yeah, those episodes drop uh, globally on Wednesday. And I think there's going to be a lot of spotlight on him and even more so given given the week he's had. And I, I back him to cope with all of that spotlight. I think it could supercharge him. You know, I think this could be a really fun month for Francis Tiafo and therefore for men's tennis. I'd like to send uh, some of the good vibes created by Francis Tiafo and Andy Murray and Ben Shelton the way of Matteo Berrettini because he's having a tough time and yeah. uh, he's been horribly injured of late. Um, he left the court in tears after losing in round one in Stuttgart to Lorenzo Sonigo. He's now pulled out of Queens injured and if you think he, he won the title last year at Queen's and Stuttgart and and then he pulled out of Wimbledon with COVID uh, and it's just gone from bad to worse for him on court for most of the year that's followed. Um, You know, it's just such a shame and wish him well, really. Um, Look at Karolina Mukova, Matteo. Curses can be broken, potentially temporarily. Yeah, well, Well, fingers crossed that both of them can have good health in the future because... I enjoy watching them. I enjoy having them on the circuit, quite honestly. Um, Nick Kyrgios is uh, another player who's been injured of late and has uh, come back this last week. He didn't look that fit, in all honesty, in his loss to Wu Yibing. Um So he hasn't got much time to get himself right before Wimbledon. And not surprising, really, given the amount of time he's been out of the game. I mean, I don't think you can just come out and turn it on after an injury of that length. He, he may... 
he may struggle to be honest to 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 make any meaningful impact the next few weeks we'll, we'll see uh stefanos Tsitsipas was beaten by richard gasquet who won his 600th match on tour uh in stuttgart and just to finish the men's news we had a a, a title for talon greeks poor who is dutch isn't he? he he's he's won in his home country i mean that's a great story and so sir Togenbosch beating jordan thompson in the final match yeah so that's back to back Dutch winners there because that was it was this week last year where Tim van Rijthoven entered our lives for not quite one week and one week only he he, he did all right at Wimbledon didn't he um but I think I think I he ended up losing to Djokovic <laughs> yeah uh but you know actually to be fair the Dutch have got a sneaky good crop of players there with those two and with uh, Bortik van der Zanskulp and Wesley Koolhoff in doubles. I always think when I watch them in Davis Cup that they're actually pretty good, the Dutch. Um, and uh, yeah, great for them to have to have two home winners in a row. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tie break or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Now, because of um, all the, the Andy Murray chat that, that we've had on the challenger level, which in all honesty, we wouldn't normally focus on, we've ended up talking more about the men's game than the women's game this week, which is not something we would ordinarily do. We will equal that up um, in the next week or so. Um, but actually, there have been some interesting stories on the women's side of things as well, particularly in Nottingham, where Britain has had an all British WTA final for the first time in 46 years since Sue Barker against Virginia Wade in 1977 was the last time and this time it was Katie Bolter beating Jodie Burridge 6-3-6-3 in the final and I mean both of them have had fantastic weeks, really, haven't haven't they? If you look at the players that Burridge has beaten, she beat Martin Siver, Magda Lynette, who was a semi-finalist at the Australian Open, uh, Fretch, she beat Elise Cornet. I mean, these are, these are really good players that uh, Jodie Burridge has beaten, and I watched most of the final. Frankly, she did not get a look in. Katie Bolter did in that match, and I think probably all week long, what, those watching her have thought, well, why doesn't that happen more often? I mean, big part of that is 
being the fact that she had a stress fracture in her back when she was starting to make headway, then the pandemic struck uh, off the back of that. So she has missed a lot of time. I still feel as though this is a player with the, the raw materials to be a very, very good player. And she's up to 77 in the world, which is a career high ranking. It's a career first title. She's she was she's from Leicester, just down the road from Nottingham. So this was a massive deal to her. She she was hugging her granddad in the crowd. Oh, it was all very emotional. But I got I've got to say, Catherine, I, I, I feel as though this should be a jumping off point for Katie Bolter now, not a not a moment to remember as a pinnacle of a career. Yeah, I entirely agree. And I absolutely don't want to be down on her. I love those scenes as much as anyone. I I totally agree with you that um, she she has the the raw materials to be a far better tennis player than her ranking to date shows, even accounting for the injuries. And it has been tough without question. Um, But yeah, I don't, Maybe this is harsh, but I don't judge these British players who have an edge on grass over pretty much everybody else out there, players of similar rankings, just because they get to play on grass when when others don't. I don't, I'm not going to judge them generally by how they perform in Nottingham or really at the grass court on, on, on the, during the grass court season, unless obviously one of them has an incredible run at Wimbledon, say, of, of course I'll take that into account, but it's, this is a week in week out sport and I want to see them do it. I want to see them be factors, be on our radar for the rest of the year. Um, and quite honestly, None of none of these British women have been for a long time, and I want to see it, but they need to do it outside of Nottingham. And I really hope this can be the jumping-off point for that. Mm, yeah, um, Dan Evans obviously has been pretty outspoken in comments t- to the media, talking about how the rankings don't lie and and that they need to be higher ranked than than they are, uh, and that they shouldn't be in on wild cards. Now, Bolter's just won this tournament. She got to to British number one at the end of last week, and she she's put a post out at the time saying that she was mulling over whether to actually post anything about becoming British number one for the first time because that wasn't the sum of her goals. And she's then gone and won a title. She's now 77 in the world. That gets you into Grand Slam t- tournaments of the future, which is quite a big deal in itself, Matt. Yeah, definitely. I think... I think it was a week that British tennis needed because it had been quite rightly, I think, under fire a little bit. You know, there were no women in the in the main draw of Roland Garros for the first time in a while. And with Bolter becoming number one, obviously, you know, partly because of the fact that Emma Raducanu has, has been injured and, and unable to play. But it was the first time that the British women's number one had been ranked outside of the top 100 since 2008. It was, you know, things were bad like a week ago. And I think exactly as as Catherine said, just because they've had a great week in Nottingham doesn't make up for all that. But it's timely and they did need it. And it, it wasn't just it wasn't just Bolter. Obviously, three of the three of the four semi-finalists were British um, and Bolter beat um, Swan in the quarterfinals as well. You know there were there were a lot of Brits doing well in Nottingham, but of course they do they do have that edge on grass. But given all that, it felt quite fitting to me that Bolter be the one to end up winning because out of that crop of players, Bolter, Swan, Burridge, Dart, I've always thought Bolter is the one with the biggest game and the most potential. And if this was a sort of I mean, it sort of felt like a sort of national championships by the end, given that there were just so many Brits there. It felt fitting to me that Bolter won that, and she feels like she's got the highest ceiling to her game. And I think it's significant for her now that she's she's actually ranked higher now than than she was before the stress fracture in, in 2019. So it really feels like her career that was just absolutely interrupted by that injury and then by COVID, obviously, 
she's back at that point now with a, you know, a few years on, a bit more experienced. Can she now build on that and become the player that we really thought she could be? Because we saw in the final, she's got the game. She can, she can dominate behind the serve. She's got massive ground strokes. The way she was giving Burridge no time on the ball was, you know, was really noticeable. But yeah, it's not just about doing it for four or five weeks over the grass court season. It's about embracing the grind of the tour. And I don't think any of those players have ever, for whatever reason, really done that. And I think uh, now, now feels like it's the time. Mm. And let's not forget, Bolter got a fantastic win last year at Wimbledon, one I commentated on against Karolina Pliskova, mm. a Wimbledon runner-up from the year before. So the ability is not in question. Um, but now she's had injuries, but we've barely spoken about her really since then. And, and I think that, that that's going to have to change. Uh, not not because of us, because of her. If she wants to achieve her goals, her, her name needs to be coming up on a show like this because she's relevant. And um, and that's that's for her to, to now work on and, and build on. But, uh, but can't do any more than winning a title. And uh, also having a nice little bit of aggro with Harriet Dart in the semis as well, uh, which, uh, which was enjoyable. Yeah, that was serious. That was cold, wasn't it? Their little exchange at the net afterwards. I, I hadn't quite realised, but my... my new understanding is that there's there's never been any particular love lost between those two but I, I wasn't I wasn't aware that it was it was an aggro type situation obviously I loved it um it was it was it seemed so petty I couldn't despite the many times I watched the the video of it I couldn't quite get to the bottom of what was being complained about? Dart was complaining about Bolter doing something, and Bolter was saying, "I do that every match. Get get yeah, over." I it. think it was pointing about to pointing to her temple ah. at the end of the match to say, you know, Stan Wawrinka style oh. or Novak Djokovic style. I'm strong mentally, I guess. And and, and I mean, um, yeah, Dart taking exception to that, thinking it was personal to her, and Bolter saying, "I do that every match," which was one of the uh, Sitsi Dossa Easter eggs. The fact that Sitsipas started pointing to his temple, Paolo Bellosa style, we, mm. you know, he was giving us a clue there. But I'm, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that Bolter and Dimonor are still together. Yeah, they are, uh, I can confirm that. that because uh, Alex Dimonor was the first player to press today, long before anybody else came. He practiced early, then he did his press because he wanted to get out of the way in order to watch the Nottingham final in which Katie Bolter featured. Right. Mm. What, 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 does, what do you mean by Easter eggs, Matt? I'm a bit out of the loop there. Just a sort of little clue that something was happening. Taylor Swift drops Easter eggs all the time that, that her fans pick up on and oh. read, read everything into about what the next announcement might be. And, and quite often you don't realise it was an Easter egg until after the reveal. After. And you're like, what, exactly. what a fool I was. What, what a fool we were to think that Tsitsipas was honouring Stamberinka with that celebration. Exactly. Of course. It was, it was Paolo Badosa. It was a along. hint at his newfound soulmate. His words, his words, that- not mine. I didn't even know Paola Badosa did the finger to the head thing. Gee, I'm, I'm well, we haven't seen her doing much winning <laughs> recently. <have we> <laughs> no, I guess not. Uh, it's too long ago. Forgotten all about it. Uh, the other tournament that was going on this week was the women's event in Sertag and Bosch as well, which I, I saw some of the final of that. Ekaterina Alexandrova beating Von, Veronika Kudamatova in the final 7-6 in the third. And it really was as tight as you as it sounds there. But it just felt like... Neither woman could really just take this match by the scruff. You know, they were both. It's like a tug of war, and neither one's going anywhere. They're just sort of stationary. And um, in the end, it was Alexandrova who got the win. So, uh, well done to her. And uh, yeah, it was a it was a good first week of grass court tennis. I guess second week if you want to count Serviton, but this is the one that felt like the real uh, big one uh, for the opener. Big hitter, Alexandrova. Nobody's going to want to play her. At Wimbledon, no. she's a danger. There's a, f- 
few of those, aren't there, with the Sam Sonover mm. and players like that. It's it's going to be a very interesting next few weeks to see who can get some form going, whether they can build on it. Um, I presume, David, you'll be actually, predicting Katie Bolter to reach the final of of Wimbledon because that's what you did with last year's Nottingham champion. Beatrice. Be- Beatrice. Uh, well, In David's defence, didn't had Admire win like two tournaments she did. before? She Correct. did, yeah. All right. That's mm. right, Matt. Thank you for protecting me. Mm. <laughs> um, and well. actually, if uh, if Bolter wants <laughs> to back it up and do it, do it all over again, I guess she's off to Birmingham now, where the uh, the two top seeds are Barbara Krachikova and Yelena Ostapenko. And there's also is that Venus Williams playing? Mm. You'd love yeah. to see it. I watched her this week. I watched her this oh. week on uh, Tuesday. I think that was she. She had. 90 minutes of really good tennis and should have closed the match out in straight sets. Couldn't quite. And then sort of ran out of gas, I think, a little bit in the third set and lost to lost to a 17-year-old, someone who was someone who was born during 2005 Wimbledon that Venus Williams was winning. Um, Amazing. <laughs> So that was uh, Celine Neif or Neif. I'm not quite sure how her surname is pronounced of uh, of Switzerland. But yeah, Venus Williams is is back, and she, she said she was pretty encouraged by how she played. And uh, yeah, on to on to Birmingham. That's so cool. She's playing Camilla Georgie. We've got Alina Svitolina against Lin- Linda Frivertova. Uh, and then we've got an all-British clash between Jodie Burridge and Harriet Dart. In the Berlin tournament, there is uh, Irina Sabalenka and Elena Rabakina as the top two seeds. Crikey, that's a, this is a strong yeah. draw. And I was mentioning Samsonova, Catherine. She's drawn Alexandrova in the first round. I mean, just imagine it, what the ball's going to look like after a few games of it's that. It's stacked in Berlin. Yeah, it's, that's going to be a really interesting week. Yeah, I mean, a few, a few other first rounds. Siniakova against Goff. Uh, Karolina Pliskova against Petra Kvitova. Uh, Sabina Lezicki against Caroline Garcia, uh, Maria Zachary against Elise Corne, and I would love to watch Marketa Vondrosheva against Bianca Andreescu. That is I think you can, David. Television match. exists. I will be watching it. <laughs> okay, well, that's about all the tennis um, that we've had this week and we've got to look forward to. Uh, we do have... A mascot, and not only a mascot, but it looks like several mascots put forward by Carol Ray, who's um, been a provider of mascots for us in the past, including Stray, who we've been who we've met before and is known as Stray, but his uh, full name is Estrella, um, and is a rescue English pointer. But uh, Carol would also say, like to say, please also meet Albus and Zola. Albus is a Jack Russell Yorkie cross, and Zola is a golden retriever pup. We've got a picture with all three in them. And uh, yes, the other two are Carol's son and wife's dogs, but they all play together so much she thought they'd put them all in. And uh, Stray loves tennis balls and cheese. Albus is obsessed with any ball, and Zola loves food. We're a dog family, she says. It, it- it's a classic can't get all three dogs looking at the camera at the same time dog photo, <laughs> which is very, very relatable. But I'd say, Carol, two out of three is very good going. Not bad. Not bad. Talking to dogs, I have got Maisie. Uh, Catherine has got Xenia. Um, Matt has got Darwin. And we're going to have predictions going off later this week when, when the newsletter gets put together so make sure you're on the list uh, for that uh, the link f- to sign up for the newsletter is in your show notes as well Billie Jean the dog is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss our top folks and executive producers are Hannah who is uh, doing our intro at the start of the show Jamie and Drew of course and Matt we have shout outs we have Kate Bradley in Iowa Hi, Kate. hello Kate Kate, we, we, we never come up with a Kate, Who was that Kate no. that lost to Venus Williams on Centre Court at Wimbledon and randomly rocked up coaching Emma Adekanu last year? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't. Kate O'Brien? 
KT Obra was a KT. Mm. That's yes. the problem we always have. KT Mc. You've perfectly illustrated Katie it. KT McNally, Kate. Kate. Kate Middleton mm. goes to Wimbledon a lot, doesn't she? Will that do? Are you sure that was Kate Katie O'Brien who coached? Uh, yeah. Emerald Are you sure it wasn't Jane O'Donoghue? Feeling a lot less sure. It was Jane O'Donoghue. Feeling starting to feel a lot less sure <laughs> since you've said that. God. Okay. <laughs> mm. Okay. Well, Kate, Kate, Kate you for... I'm sure you'll agree. We've done you proud there with that shout out. <laughs> Thank you for being a, a friend of the tennis podcast, Kate. If anybody can come up with any good tennis, Kate, so that we can have a nice vault to sort of you know dip into mm. if ever we need. Thank you, We're Kate. All ears. Thank you, Kate. <laughs> We've also got Stephen Malloy. Who oh, we, hello, Stephen. Who we know. We know Stephen. Right, Stephen. He is in County Clare in Ireland. Oh, Lovely. Stephen's top bloke. The uh, cameraman that I work with a lot and will be working with this week at Queen's is also from County Clare. What a celebrity name drop that is. <laughs> <laughs> Niall. There you go. Look, if anybody else Cheers, knows Stephen. anybody more famous from County Clare, please feel free. How about Stevens? Have we got any Stevens? Sloan Stevens. <laughs> Stephen. Andy uh, Roddick's brother, I think, is called Stephen. No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. What a weird thing to make up. I'm not doing. <laughs> not doing well. His Are you taxi's, okay, Catherine? His driver was was called Stephen. Oh, Catherine, well, there you go. Uh, when he was in the UK, so. Tenuous. <laughs> yep. Okay. Thanks, Stephen. Well, our final shout out has actually provided us with a with a fact. So we don't even have to make up any names for this. We can just we can just listen to Charles Friesen, who is in Vancouver, and Charles has come up with a with a famous Charles. Charles Williams, responsible for founding the ITF. He was killed in the Titanic sinking. No. But his son, Richard, who was also on board, survived and won the US Championships two years later. Wow. That's a Tennis Relived episode. It is, isn't That's it? That's an extraordinary story. Wow. Thank you, Charles. Great stuff. That's fantastic. Charles, thank you so much for the, the story and for being a friend of the Tennis Podcast. And, and uh, for saving these shout-outs. Yeah. <laughs> Andy Roddick's Which brother, by the way, is the called dips. John. Yes, I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. <laughs> all right, John, if you're listening. Um, anyway, thank you all thank you, for being shout-out Friends of the Tennis Podcast. And thank you all generally if you are friends because you help us keep the show on the road. And if you would like to help this show thrive in the future and you're not already a friend and you'd like to listen to many of our uh, bonus episodes i think we've done about 15 this year already and as catherine mentioned we've got our review of the second installment of netflix episodes breakpoint episodes very soon for friends we'll also have our review show of wimbledon once that tournament's over we've got our tennis relived to record uh, in just over a week's time when we're going to be featuring the life story and career story of Fred Perry. So, yeah, become a friend. Uh, tell your friends about the show if, uh, if you know anybody you think might like to have a listen. But thank you for listening. Do come back next week and we'll speak to you soon. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.